0: So, welcome to our summer series. We are carrying on our series on dynamic discipleship um, in Luke. So, this week's a bit of a transition. Um, We're moving this week from part one of our series to part two. And I'm going to be covering that transition this morning. So, I want to just spend one minute just recapping and setting the scene for you. Because the transition's quite important in the book of Luke. Luke wrote this transition in. Um, It's a very deliberate transition. And our sermon series has been structured around this. Because up to now, um, we've been in predominantly in chapters 4 to 8. We keep reaching forward and back. Um, But really, this is the period in Luke uh, just called the Galilean section. Um, Galilee, because that's Jesus' home base. That's where he's here at. And that's where his ministry starts. So it's all beginning with Jesus. And the focus in the beginning of our series, I don't know if how much you realized, is all about Jesus' identity. So we've done a series up to now that's focused on Jesus' identity. We'll look at it very briefly in a minute. But today there's this transition between chapters 9 and 10. We're going to look at this. I'm not going to read this specific verse, but it says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, or Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. So that's the NIV and the ESV. So having learned a lot about Jesus and about his character, about his identity, today there's a bit of a challenge because you've got to put it into practice. So now we look at this concept of the journey, and section Uh, The chapters 10 to 18, the next section of Luke that we're going to go through over the rest of the summer, the second half, is actually called the journey section. That's how many commentators describe it. And it's that Jesus taking that journey to the cross. Um, But I think it's quite an exciting journey. It's not a journey where he had this fully formed team. He had a lot of, he had his disciples, he had other followers, we'll see that. But they didn't have it all worked out. They're only just beginning to realize who Jesus was. They don't have perfect theology, perfect lives. At times they're a bit confused. They misunderstand events a little bit. They mess up a bit. But the important thing is that in our journey in the weeks to come, they follow Jesus. They stay close to him. They listen to him. They learn from him. This is the transition. We're called to him. We've looked at his identity, and you are challenged. You've seen his identity. What do you make of him? Are you going to follow him in a journey of discipleship? Because today, he's going to start moving. You are called, you are empowered, and then you are sent. The sending happens today with Jesus. So I'm going to read the two chapters, just a snippet from the two chapters, Luke 9 and Luke 10. That is about the sending out. And then we're going to understand this call, this empowerment, and this sending. Call, called, empowered, sent. Called, empowered, sent. Remember those, called, empowered, sent. So I'll start with Luke 9, 1 to 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people. Then in Luke 10, after this, notice it's the 12 at that point. This is a larger group in 10. Luke 10, 1 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse, a bag, or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking what they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it is more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazim, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the miracles that were performed in you. If they had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice, your names are written in heaven. So it's a long passage, but it's not too bad to unpick. And I want to start with an analogy. I finished reading a book Um, earlier this year. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, a map going to come up. Um, It's actually by the historian, sort of author, Stephen Ambrose. He's quite famous for this series, Band of Brothers. Um, But before I lose you, because you don't like war, because he wrote a lot about that, uh, this isn't about war. Um, He's a brilliant writer at writing from the perspective of someone who lived history, uh, I, I don't, I've never done history. I've never studied it. And I love reading his books because he puts you firsthand in historical places. And you really feel the experience of history. And uh, he wrote this book called Undaunted Courage. It's a, a very um, a different book for him. It's about American history. And it's about two men. Uh, the two men are Thomas Jefferson, who you should know, and Meriwether Lewis, who you probably don't. So, Jefferson's become president, okay, 1805, he's president of um, newly formed uh, United States, and he makes peace with France, and this is a, a great opportunity to expand the U.S., and he pays Napoleon $15 million to buy 2 million square kilometers of land. Everything in pink there in the middle of the map, the middle third of the U.S. was French, and Jefferson buys it. This is doubling the size of the USA. It's the large, one of the largest land deals ever. Okay? Debatable about whether someone else actually owned it before, of course. Uh, I'm not going to go into those arguments. Um, but this is unknown land to the Western civilization. And Jefferson wants to sponsor an expedition to investigate. This is the Lewis Clark expedition. He wants to explore it and open it up to trade. From the Pacific right the way across to trade and settlement. Uh, it's quite an epic story about the journey. And uh, Lewis and Clark spent a couple of years traveling this land, wild country, but of course there were people living there the Sioux and, and the Indians, some of them very hostile. It's also hostile country, rugged terrain, harsh winters. Called, empowered, sent. Jefferson called Meriwether to his office. This is Washington. He gave Meriwether unprecedented access to the knowledge he had in his library, a vast library, and the contacts he had. He could learn, Meriwether could learn from traders, military men, botanists, surveyors. He had time and privilege and influence to access some of the the best knowledge in the whole world about this area. Because Jefferson wanted his man to understand his mission. He spent a whole year serving Jefferson as secretary in his presence, becoming empowered for the journey. But beyond just just that kind of empowerment, practically, he gave him a letter, the most unlimited letter of credit given, possibly. He said this, it authorized him to draw on any agency of the U.S. government anywhere in the world for anything he wanted. He authorized Lewis to call on, quote, unquote, the citizens of any nation to furnish you with the supplies which your necessities may call for, signed with Jefferson's own hand, like a, like a blank check for the journey. And finally he sent him a sense of purpose and empowerment Sent with gifts, tobacco, spirits, fairly destructive perhaps. Peace medals, goodwill gesture from the government, promises. Fascinating story. I was talking briefly beforehand, false promises in so many ways, broken promises. But what about our mission? You are called. We've looked at our church values, empowered And we know a better citizenship, a better king, a better kingdom. Philippians 3.20 You are called to discipleship. You are empowered for discipleship. And you are sent to be kingdom makers. A different, more powerful, more eternal kingdom with better, complete promises. Sent to be and make kingdom disciples. Like Jefferson, who called his man to prepare him, he needed time with him. Are you digging deep into the one who calls you? Are you spending time reading scripture, praying, dwelling on the identity of Christ who calls you? You need to seek to understand his identity. We need to let it transform us. Jesus drew people to him because he allowed people into his company, into his presence. We're allowed to get close to him, to understand who he is and experience him. We've seen that, a series so far. The Jesus who taught, he wants to teach you. Jesus who healed, he wants to make you whole. Jesus who enjoyed time with his father to show you the unprecedented access you have. The wealth of riches and knowledge. Jesus, who has compassion on you. Jesus, who so effectively communicates truth in the parables, simple truths to sustain you, to speak into your life. Jesus, who forgives you completely. Jesus, who has complete and utter authority over your life. Will you follow that man? Disciples didn't learn that through books. They learned it by being in his presence. That presence helped them grasp the theory. They had to live it in his presence. Spending time with him, being discipled by him. I had a bump in this journey this week. Bad couple of days. My wife had a bad couple of days as well. But uh, I needed to access that. And I took myself out. At lunch, I jumped in my car from work. Ten minutes down the road, there's this, this woods and a golf course. I uh, stopped in the car park, read, carried on reading the book of Scripture I'm reading. I'm just trying to challenge myself just to keep pumping more Scripture into me, reading more. I read the passage. I thought about the Scriptures, and I, I went for this walk. Just a really lovely day, lovely walk. And I accessed His presence, and it was so good. My attitude was so refreshed. I felt so encouraged going back to the car. I I even slowed down for the last five minutes because it was good. And I just wanted to be there in that presence. But then I was sent back to the situation, back to the same things, back to the same events. But I was refreshed and renewed to go back to them. You've got to spend time in his presence to refresh and renew your vision to renew your calling, but you can't stay there. You get kicked out. His presence is with you always, but you've got to go do those things you've got to do. Sometimes they suck, but you need to access his presence first. There's work for you to do. You are empowered and sent from his presence. What about the empowerment? We've looked at empowerment before. It's a church value. Just reflect on a couple of things. It's an immensely empowering message. An empowering message. Luke 9, verse 1. Jesus gave them power and authority. He does that for you today. The empowering was specifically to cure the sick and cast out demons. This was to show God's absolute power in that time. Absolute power and authority divested in Jesus. And think about the manifestation of that power for you and for everyone. It is a message of freedom. Freedom from suffering. Freedom from death. And we've done healing and things before, but there's no distinction here between sickness and possession, because it's about liberation. A message of complete liberation and freedom. Also a message of undeserved peace with God. Freedom from judgment and peace. Read this, Luke 9 verses 5 and 6. When you enter our house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a true disciple, even though we've just begun that journey, we already have complete peace with God. It's not a salvation that's earned. You don't gain it along the way, you've got it. You have peace. In our new identity, we walk out, we are sent and operate from the basis of already being received by Jesus, already having his peace, already being accepted. No judgment, no condemnation, complete freedom. Everywhere they walked, every village they walked into, there was no condition. The message was free and given. Accept it. Accept a new identity. And we're not to delight in specific spiritual empowerment regardless of spiritual gifts and achievements when we're talking about casting out demons these things there's only one boast that jesus said they were to have the great quality of his message and the great freedom was simply our position in christ luke 10 verse 20 read about the power and authority I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your heavenly position that is already given, that you already have. Romans 5 verse 2. We boast in the hope of the glory of God an empowering message of freedom and acceptance, and a boast only in that position. Our church value resists. this. I'll read it to you. We are empowered for mission to see God's transforming presence impacting our communities, to be naturally supernatural in our everyday lives. How are we doing that? How are we impacting those around us are we drawing on his power? Are we empowered to be more than our natural self? You're meant to be. It's an empowerment that's rooted in a really radical need and trust in God's provision. Luke 10 verse 3, he says this. It's the weird one. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Thank you, Jesus. A little lamb. Bear. Isn't is a great picture? Um, it's an empowerment that's rooted in his provision. There will be danger, but the lambs far outweigh the wolves. Remember, he's the shepherd. But our weakness is evident. We do have an evident weakness in our personalities. But power is given to us through the Holy Spirit, and we need that. Luke 24, 49 is is the later empowerment and filling of the Holy Spirit goes into Acts 1, verse 8, that they had to wait for, specific empowering. And unlike Meriwether, who walked out with his credit letter, unlimited access to resources, part of that story is the moment Jefferson lost his president, that letter was worthless. Worthless. Worthless but you can draw on a bank draft of unlimited riches. Ephesians 1.19 I pray that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his power for you who believe. Access that. We're also called to be disciple makers, kingdom makers, Called, empowered, scent. Let's look at scent. I got this friend, Keith. He's moved abroad. I still stay in touch with him. But when I was living in London, I used to finish work and we would go up into some of the climbing gyms across London, and uh, we would just hang out. We'd do some sports climbing indoors. Um, really fantastic time, and I I, I knew him really well. Um, but he used to cox the girls' rowing team at Oxford and uh, he was studying there so he'd get up really early he'd wrap up really warm really bitterly cold on the river and he would get in the boats and he was the coxswain now if you don't know what that means it means he sits pretty still at the front of the boat looking in the direction in which they're going to go and all all the ladies would, would line up in the boat facing him they can't see where they're going but they're going to row they're going to do the work. And their job is to row at pace, in rhythm. He would steer, coordinate. And part of your job as a coxswain is also to coach. The coach can't keep up, okay? He's bombing it along the river edge, kind of screaming at them through the loud hailer, but he might not keep up. So you've got this dual kind of role as a coach. And, and Keith would say to me once, because when you're climbing as two guys, as a group of guys, you always hurl abuse at each other and kind of mucking around and there's a bit of camaraderie, especially when you're dangling at the end of a long piece of rope and he's about to drop you. Uh, But anyway, he would say, you never shout, come on. You don't say, come on. Come on. It's the kind of thing I shout at my kids when they're like slow and annoying and then we not out of the house on time and you don't say, come on because that means they're behind. You say, go. Go on. Go on. He can see. He has the direction. Go. Trust trust the coach and the coxswain to steer the way. Just go. Go. You don't know the whole picture. You can't see it all, but go. Trust. You're equipped. These are competent athletes. You don't say come on, you say go. You're equipped, you are able, more than ready. You might not see where you're going fully, but you are capable, you are enabled. Go. Go. Luke 10 verse 3a, go. That word go. Just follow me. The disciples were in 9 verse 2a, sent out. Go on, out. We are sent to be disciples on a journey through life, called to be a disciple, but also make a disciple. Where are you sent? Well, where are you going today? There are, in some ways, two senses of calling and two senses of being sent, okay? You are sent. You are sent to your families, to your work situation, to your friends, your kids, your husband, whoever it is. You are sent the people you are close to, the people around you. Whoever those people are, you are sent. There's also a specific sending. The sending in the second case, this 70, 70, 72, is kind of a the number. It's actually a symbolic number that represents back in Jewish tradition, synonymous with all of the tribes of the world, all nations. We are sent to the whole earth. It's a harder one. And I kind of wrestle with this. I mean, I'm not like an evangelist, okay? I'm not good at standing up on the street. Of course, we're called to do that in the workplace. Conversations we have with our colleagues, our family, everything. But there are those that have specific sending. And just see how you should be engaged in that. Luke 10 verse 2 says this. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What are you to do? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. There are those that have a more specific calling. We should be praying for the church to be sending out specific ministries, specific works, specific needs that need to be met, and people that have specific giftings to do that. And just to, to pick up on this, this purpose here, Jesus is very clear on the purpose of their sending, to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick, 9 verse 2 and 10 verse 9. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near. This is the twofold mission of the church. It's very practical as well as theological, concern for physical emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. Not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom that should be realized. It has to have some impact now, as well as eternity. It's not confined to eternity. It has to propose to change conditions on this earth. A classic kind of example, William Booth, was, he was blamed once for offering food to people instead of the gospel. Just simply offering food, to poor people instead of the simple gospel and he flashed back this straight away it's impossible to comfort men's hearts with the love of God when their feet are perishing with cold the church will forget only at her peril that Jesus first sent out his followers to preach the kingdom and to heal to save men and women in body as well as soul I just want to emphasize one thing about this passage that we've got to take from this strong principles there's an aspect of this passage that you you read it that you think well how do i deal with some of these these things it's, and we have to be careful to think about specific model for the mission versus principles for the mission i want to show you the principles take nothing for your journey luke 9 verse 3 Luke 10.4, take no purse, no bag, no shoes. The principle here is focus. What are the things that distract you? What's the clutter in your life that gets in the way? The things that impede you, that you depend on, that you put your faith in rather than going and speaking to the one who calls you. Jesus reverses this instruction, okay? Get the principle, not the specifics. Luke 22, 35 and 36, these two verses, he says this When I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. There's great practicality in how Jesus is working here. He knew that the honeymoon was over. There's trouble, opposition, oppression. And there's nothing wrong with good preparation. Practicality, sensible thinking on that journey. Have wise counsel and planning, especially in the context of mission. Think strategically. Take your purse, your bag, plan. But don't get distracted by the comforts, by the security, by the material things that can protect us. Have faith in him, not in the resources at your disposal. Be radical in that faith. And just to wrap up, as we finish up, a couple of final quick points. There's a sense of urgency about this message. Keep focus on the calling of discipleship. Keep focused on it. It says, don't greet anyone on the road. Luke 10 verse 4b. This is a custom of lengthy greetings. You meet someone, you wander off to their village, have a great big meal, stay for a few days, do the next house. Quite a road trip. You know, this week, one of my kids... Went off on a school trip. It was a subgroup, just a group of the kids from the school. One of those kids did not come back from that trip. They did not come back. Tragic. Pray for that family and for those events. It was in the paper, but don't wait. There is a sense of utter urgency on this message. Where is your hope? Where is your certainty? These things shake your certainty because there is none. There is none in this life. Life will not give you certainty. Keep focusing on the sense of urgency of the call to discipleship the call, the empowering, the sending. Stay engaged, a church value, no distractions. Don't be distracted by rejection as well. Jesus is clear that the response to the message is mixed. It's polar. If people don't welcome you, shake it off. Shake it off. Luke 10, verse 10 and 11. When you enter a, ha- a town and they don't accept you, shake it off. Luke 9, 4b as well. Don't take it personally. Everyone's accountable for what they hear, but we don't take that judgment into our own hands. Shake it off. We can be so quick to desire judgment, quick to judge people, Our sense of outrage and injustice. Your power is limited, though, in some ways. Later, there's this bit where the disciples say, "Wow, well, Lord, let's bring down thunder on them. It's in Luke 9, 54, same passage. And Jesus rebukes them. Jesus asks us only to proclaim truth. To speak truth. We're not to be quick to judge. And we're not to take that rejection personally. You are called. You are empowered. You are sent. I don't know where you're sent today. But I think it's a very big challenge at this point in our series to understand the identity of the person that's called you Discipleship is a radical challenge for you with your identity. For us, for me, the call on our life is to rediscover our identity in Christ and to spend time in that presence. Because you can't do life without absorbing his presence, to get envisioned in his presence, to seek his forgiveness and mercy urgently it is urgent one way you'll leave one way or the other make that decision as to your position before jesus whether you'll follow him as a disciple take time to pray with someone or privately renew that sense of call for discipleship on your life go back to him Renew your discipleship with Jesus. Say yes. Resubmit. Recommit. Absorb who he is. Know his forgiveness. Don't waste time. And if you're someone who's more mature in your faith, you've got to return to his presence. You've got to renew your sense of calling constantly. Your purpose. Life will frustrate. It's not clear always. Renew your sense of purpose and calling. Be empowered for the situations you're sent to. Whatever situation it is. Perhaps some of you have specific callings. For others, it's the routine. Pray for those with specific callings. Go out. Go out, go, but go empowered and go for God's presence from his presence. Okay, Kevin.